Hey everyone, it's Kai and Lafayette, and this is The, the Theory, Theory of Living. Living. Thanks for tuning in. We are able to bring you this episode thanks to our Patreon members. Patreon is a subscription-based platform where people can provide support for content creators like us. Thanks to our Patreon members and supporters, we are able to provide free content on the podcast and weekly episodes. By being a Patreon member, you'll have access to our entire podcast library, full video and audio episodes, along with much more. If you like this episode and you feel it adds value to your life, or you hate it, please subscribe on Patreon and or leave your review on Apple Podcast. And don't forget to mention it to your friends over your next beer. Truly, thank you again, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this again. Uh, but Kant was the first one who settled the debate, saying that okay, guys, both exist: the innate capacity, right, and sensory experience. Both exist. Okay, but and also not just they exist independently, but they they also have to act together mm-hmm. in order for us to acquire knowledge. It's not just that the knowledge or content of reality is, you know, passively received by the senses. It's not like that. Okay, we gain that information through senses, but rather the information is actively shaped by the mind. Mm. Right. That was. Whoa, that's crazy. Everybody was like, that is crazy. (laughs) But, you know, the reason Kant is so important in philosophy is that because of this breakthrough idea, there's still, still a lot of discussions that are, you know, uh, that try to challenge the idea of Kant, right? Still... Occurring in the framework of his his ideas, it's not far from it, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's that much influential. I'm not saying that everything that he says is correct. He's it's going to be challenged, you know, one day, um, meaningfully, but not yet, not yet. A lot of discussions that we're having is still not far from you know his framework, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, See, yeah. I mean, the things seem to to shift drastically, mm-hmm. but. Some things take centuries until we arrive at a better oh, yeah, solution or mm-hmm. offer a better alternative to the mm-hmm. current known system. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of philosophy and, you know, the natural sciences and all the other things that we arrive at a more mm-hmm. seemingly accurate conclusion about what reality is and what constitutes it. Mm-hmm. And there's an invaluable... Mm-hmm. I lack the word, but there's there's a necessary stepping stone in all the things mm-hmm. leading up to that. Oh yeah, know? for sure, absolutely. From Socrates all the way up to now, and this you know that excludes and includes mm-hmm. a lot of philosophers, of uh, people that weren't philosophers, mm-hmm. have a huge impact on history and the right. way we can then engage with reality and try to find a better solution mm-hmm. and not necessarily that there's even a better solution there's just alternate solutions for the time yeah. period and cultural period you live in which is more of a kind of a, even a postmodern thing right. to say you know we're based in a time period historically culturally mm-hmm. geographically right which then impacts the ability for us to engage and understand the world we live in mm-hmm. which is also a part of the evolutionary process things yeah. are embedded upon us mm-hmm. you know physiologically and then also emotionally by the yeah. place we live in mm-hmm. yeah and then you know another uh really big distinction that we need to make of uh Kant's view from 
his you know predecessors that okay he's he's he acknowledges uh, innate capacity and you know you may think automatically that oh this is like metaphysical mm-hmm. but it's not because okay he he, he acknowledged the uh, you know inner capacity you know and then it, it is enables enables us to understand some truth but um, you know of course within uh, the faculty of our sensibility which is like time and space right mm-hmm. there's a limit to it right and that's why it is different from you know previous rationalist metaphys- you know uh, metaphysicists <coughs> saying that you know pure reason has the power to understand and grasp the mm-hmm. mysteries of universe that's what you know metaphysicists used to argue and Khan saying that okay I, I agree with you guys on you know innate capacity but I mean, there's a limit to it. Yeah, we we don't have any cap- capacity to understand the universal truths, mm-hmm. you know, and is bounded by time and space. So that's why it is so different from you know uh, the previous metaphysics. And in my opinion, that's why his view finally, you know, escaped the essence of metaphysics that Locke couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the debate between the continental continental rationalist, right? Uh-huh. And then the uh, empiricist. So th- there was that back and forth between them for a long time. Uh-huh. And like you said, here comes Immanuel Kant just knocking it out of the park with, what are we doing here? Right. Come on, guys. Uh-huh. Like, pull it together. And, I mean, again, going back to Charles uh-huh. Darwin, he came after Kant. So uh-huh. imagine the impact that Kant's philosophy had on great thinkers in the mm-hmm. way we view the world so that it was even possible for somebody to come up with an alternative solution mm-hmm. to something in the natural sciences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the power of these these ideas and the philosophy mm-hmm. is that it could impact every other area of, of study, epistemologically yeah. speaking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it changes the way we interface with knowledge and how to understand mm-hmm. what do we know and how do we know it. Mm-hmm. That's how powerful that philosophy was. Yeah, and it wasn't even his. It didn't even seem to be necessarily his aim. Mm-hmm. He probably had no idea the amount of impact it was going to have mm-hmm. on the entire world and the way we interface and try to arrive at knowledge, even in our present day situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think there are two, <sighs> two, you know, two aspects of. Not just Kant, but you know, mostly these German philosophers, right? I mean, they um, their contribution to you know the progression of philosophy is gigantic, right? But also, you know, their ideas are too concrete, and um, you know, takes up the big portion of our you know today's philosophy that I think still we have hard time to really break through it, right? Mm-hmm. I think. So there are two aspects of it. Um, that's the way I see it. We owe a lot of things to them, but also their uh, work and the framework is just too, you know, in a way, too good <laughs> uh, or too rigid that is like modern philosophers are having hard time to break through it. You know. Well, this is also, <laughs> you know, kind of the one effective strategy. Mm-hmm get around specific types of philosophy 
is to not engage in the system they've created. Right. So a lot of the problem is that we, and we do this in more than just philosophical debates and arguments. We do this mm-hmm. in our everyday life. We play their game, mm-hmm. and due to the structure of the game, right. we can never win or escape it. Yeah. By solely playing into it. Yeah. You know, so there's probably it's going, a dangerous game. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's a necessary game, though, right? I mean. It is. It's a lot more beneficial to play their, I mean, engage with their ideas. We talked about this earlier, that whether or not you agree with their ideas, the reason it's important to, you know, study um, your predecessor's uh, ideas and views is that even if you don't agree with it, you can still engage with their ideas and then, you know, interact with them. Yes. Which is completely, I mean, which is way more beneficial than you know, uh, not engaging with the ideas. Otherwise, your idea is going to be never challenged. Yeah. You know, which is a big problem. Yeah, you have to be open to the criticism, which in this situation would be willing to accept other conclusive ideas. Yeah. And then also another benefit is that if you, by not studying your predecessor's views, you you are risking to repeat their mistakes. Yeah. Right? That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this uh, applies to everything, actually, science or history or, or anything that has, you know, um, has been around for forever, if for a long time. If you don't study, you know, previous ideas, then, you, you know, there's a possibility that you're, you're going to make the, the fucking... Eh? Yeah. <laughs> Which is completely unnecessary, right? Yes. So... You know, this is why we study philosophy, which is why we study history, engage with, you know, old people's ideas. Even though, you know, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, you know, like who cares what they thought? But it's important, right? It's important because without the question of Plato's, for example, Socrates, you may not have Plato's, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about this without without Locke, we may not have Kant, right? Yeah. Uh, is all this collective idea progressively, you know, um, created the idea that we, we have today? And that's why it's important to, you know, study, you know, previous ideas and views and, you know, challenge the ideas in a way. Yeah. Right. And it's funny, even what we're talking about right now, one of the, again, going back to Hume, he would be skeptic of even this statement. Mm hmm. You know, this is a kind of inductive statement. So we would say that Mm -hmm. things in the past have always occurred in a specific way. We've always Mm -hmm. learned from the past, grown, and then we've improved upon it. Mm -hmm. But that's not etched into the fabric of reality in any meaningful way we can prove. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't necessarily have to rely on previous generations' knowledge to advance. Mm -hmm. But things have always led that way. So... It's within good reason to assume they would continue. Mm-hmm. Hume would call this custom. Like, right. Custom is what leads to progress. You know, it's like these reoccurring themes. Mm-hmm. Even though we can never actually prove causality or see it, mm-hmm. we understand, like, things tend to happen in repetitive ways, like, mm-hmm. repeatable. But there's no reason that they always have to continue that way. Right, of course not. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. even gravity and things like that are only byproducts of, you know, specific systems remain the way they are and the best explanations we have. But eventually Mm -hmm. the sun will burn up. All these things will occur. The way we Mm -hmm. understand physics and all that will be, you know, potentially tossed to the wind. Right. 
So again, knowing that in the statement you made, I still think it's extremely valuable mm-hmm. that we do engage with the past and these previous ideas, mm-hmm. but also remain skeptic to, yeah, maybe maybe they're not incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, have open minded open mindedness to both sides. Maybe they will have a value. Maybe they won't. But yeah, you have to engage with it mm-hmm. to actually decipher that or decide it. Yeah. Hundred percent, yeah. And you know, uh, <laughs> I think we need to talk a little, little more about Kant because it's really important. But you know, he, he, he's basically saying that it's the human mind that creates the reality, and therefore our experience and knowledge are limited to the world of experience uh, constricted by and in the mind, right? Mm-hmm. So it is really interesting if you look at you know think about this a little more further that he you know attributes the transcendental quality but still at the same time draws a clear line of limitation that what we can do and what we can know right so that's why this is this his view was so fresh and um revolutionary that okay i he he acknowledges that quality Right, but transcendental when it says like it's not the metaphysical, you know, um, idea. Mm-hmm. The transcendental quality, as in like existing within us, like that's the craziest part, right? But again, he he clearly admits that there's a limit to it. Yeah. Right. And in a way, you can say that that's why. I mean, you know, he he was probably atheist, right? I mean, from his view. Even though, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's not super uh, clear whether or not he was at this. Because he's, he's acknowledging that, okay, there are universal truths mm-hmm. that we, we don't have any capacity to find out the knowledge of it. Right? Yeah. But in his view, you can say that, oh, maybe then, you know, he doesn't acknowledge the uh, existence of God. But in, he acknowledges the existence of, existence of universal truths, right? So... I don't know if he has ever, you know, spelled it out that, oh, I don't believe in God. I mean, I know he goes into the virtues and ethics. Mm-hmm. He does a lot resembling, like, morality of man mm-hmm. in regards to God. Right. So I don't think he was necessarily atheistic. Mm-hmm. But I, don't, I also don't think he claimed maybe necessarily right. the Judean Christianity. Right. Um, there was some stuff he did. Change his spelling of his name to the more Hebrew one, I believe. <laughs> okay. So, I, you know, it's interesting, right? Because, a lot, again, right. how can a guy yeah. have such a strong and new representation of reality, yeah. present it in such a, like, it's not flawless, but mm-hmm. fucking near, near it at that time, near mm-hmm. flawless, and then also still maintain a belief in potentially yeah. a, a god. I know it's again. It's hard because even using the word God, we we smuggle in all these mm-hmm. cultural things and these time period things about yeah. your idea of what a God is in 2022 and yeah. what your idea is. So it's again, it's hard to even talk about it, right? Because you can read his work and you can decipher and take away certain things and different things without right. getting into the historical context. Mm-hmm. You know, during Kant's time period, also yeah. the way he lived, and all those things, it's yeah. it's really hard to say yes indefinitely. He believed in yeah. the Judean Christian God, or 
it's just it's it's it gets complex real mm-hmm. quick because again definitions words language are all in relation to a time period yeah. which is just kind of crazy to think about right it's almost like we're speaking a different language in some ways yeah it does you have to explain so much to mm-hmm. even actually arrive to a meaningful conclusion mm-hmm. and that's i mean that's the problem we run into i think in reality a lot right now is that when we talk to somebody we have mm-hmm. such a different idea of the same word or the concept we're using mm-hmm. you know we're using cow but the image i summon in my head is so different than your image yeah or you know a more complex thing we're yeah. very like god Whew. it's crazy from person to person that definition is wildly different oh yeah 100 percent. so i mean that's that's the value of experience going out and kind of acquiring your own definition of these things right in a way where you can communicate it with somebody through words but again i think like we talk about all the time Mm -hmm. that the experience is so much different than the words we use to communicate the experience Mm -hmm. that you absolutely should go get the experience to have a more robust understanding Mm -hmm. of the symbols yeah in the words we use yeah i mean i I think it's going to be very interesting um you know moving forward because um we have a lot more knowledge than you know what they um had to work with right so i mean the the advancement in science and physics and especially neuroscience i think we'll have uh at the very least better understanding or explanation of uh how we we acquire knowledge and we'll have dramatic improvement in epistemology as well i think yeah i think we'll have a more robust Mm -hmm. definition i this is the hard thing about knowledge i feel like Mm -hmm. you know that kind of common expression Mm -hmm. the more things change the less they do Mm -hmm. because even the knowledge we have accessible to us Mm -hmm. it's impossible for us to parse it out right so that's why we're going to have algorithms ai you know computers solving a lot of these problems that Mm -hmm. are going to arrive to different solutions and conclusions i don't know if these things necessarily make the world better Mm -hmm. it makes it different for sure things will change and become different but again better is such a relative term i I think the best we can say is different yeah that's probably the most accurate definition i can say Mm -hmm. but we do have things wildly available to us that they didn't it'd be amazing to see what Immanuel Kant would come up with today if he had the information at yeah, his fingertips like we do right it'd be amazing it, yeah. honestly any of these genius soccer mm. probably any great philosopher like yeah. man what ideas would they have right now yeah yeah I know like with what they had at the time uh, they still could come up with this ideas that that we still study today, you know, yeah. and that's crazy, right? Yeah. And those geniuses probably, you know, we've talked about this many times, not just, you know, these great thinkers, but also great, um, you know, scientists and, you know, writers, they probably, you know, count maybe for 1%, maybe like 5% of the entire population. And, you know, people like us, just you know at least have a capacity to appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> yeah at the very least we can appreciate it you yes. can recognize the genius right but i mean i'm not saying you can right i mean 
But I mean, I mean obviously if they're listening to us, they recognize <laughs> genius. Come on, man. <laughs> right. by, by no means we're genius. Fuck no way. Yeah, we just have a love of, you know, philosophy and, you know, good literature. But, you know, every time we look at it a little more closely, um just reminds me that oh how much I appreciate their work. Um and still really um that intellectual stimuli, mm-hmm. right, serves as, and I appreciate it a lot, and it makes a huge difference in my life. Yeah, yeah. I think when you engage with greatness, mm-hmm. some of it rubs off on you. You know, yeah. not that it makes makes us greater. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, but I'm saying it reminds me that yes, greatness exists, mm-hmm. and it beckons me to become better than I was previously, mm-hmm. and it allows me to shape my worldview. And have it challenged. I find that so yep. exciting. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people think philosophy is this boring, mm-hmm. dull, antiquated subject matter. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't have any value today. And I just think that's so far from the truth. I think philosophy is one of the most humbling things mm-hmm. to go and learn. Because, again, these guys aren't saying, hey, this is the absolute solution. This mm-hmm. is the best view and the best interpretation of reality. Believe it. Or you're going to die mm-hmm. and go to hell. You know, it doesn't it doesn't put that yeah. type of pressure on you, that unnecessary pressure. Right. It just presents its ideas and its worldview and it kinda like kicks the ball to you. Like, okay, well mm-hmm. what are you gonna do with that? Yeah. Are you gonna challenge it? Are you gonna accept it? Mm-hmm. Are you gonna disregard, not engage with it at all? Yeah. And it's very humbling. Because I think when you realize all these great, amazing philosophers typically disagreed with each other. Mm-hmm. Yet they were still able to grow the study, which affected all the sciences, all the maths, and the world as we know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they didn't have to kill each other to do it. I, and don't get me wrong, there are some philosophers that have some mm-hmm. cult type stuff tied to them, but right. generally speaking, they were able to. It's an intellectual battle, basically, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. And then, I mean, they. Uh, whether or not they agree with each other, um, I mean, there's a still their positive synergistic effect, you know, especially contemporaries, right? Yeah. Um, even, you know, Hume and Kant we talked about, you know, they have a um, similar view, but different views, right? Oh, yeah, very. Yeah. I mean, Hume's mm-hmm. skeptic through and through, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, I wouldn't oh. say Kant was a skeptic. He was in some, some regards, but mm-hmm. not not to the degree that Hume was. Yeah. But again, right. these guys are like necessary, mm-hmm. you know, these little intellectual battles and these butting mm-hmm. of heads yeah. to get out something new and more. Yeah. And that's what you get when you engage with older material or material you may not find revel- sorry, mm-hmm. material you may not find relevant to your life. It can be totally relevant to the world mm-hmm. because you're the only person who has the thoughts and the ideas and the experience that you have. Mm-hmm. And once you engage with this, you can have a different result. Essentially, you're mixing two different spices together. Your spice is super unique to yourself. Uh-huh. And you can have an amazing concoction at the end. Yeah. But it requires you to engage with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that alone is worth checking out because you never know. You never know what you could get. Mm-hmm. You never know what you could get by reading a book, you know, 
digging a little deeper, asking more questions why, mm-hmm. instead of just accepting, like, oh, yeah, that's the way the world works. That's this week's short version of the episode of Theory of Living Podcast. Thank you for listening with us. We're Lafayette and Kai. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you'd like to help support us, we have a Patreon page where you can subscribe for exclusive content, early access, and full versions of the podcast. Also, please share with others who you think may find value in our discussion. Leave a rating, a review, and please subscribe. Thank you again. See you next time.